Good morning, everybody. How are you all doing today? Awesome. Well, I want to start out by saying uh, if this is your first time joining us here in our sanctuary at Hosanna or if you're joining us online for the first time, we want to say welcome to all of you. We're so glad you're here to worship with us today. I am Pastor Nathan, and today we are going to be doing a quick introduction, well, maybe not so quick, we'll see how that goes, but an introduction overview of the book of Revelation, which we will then start digging into deep uh, next week, but we're also going to be celebrating the baptism of two of our family here at Hosanna today, and so we're very excited about that, yeah. But to start out here, you know, the book of Revelation is seen by some people to be um, mysterious, spooky, scary uh, to some, right? Um, As I was uh, preparing for the study and just, you know, researching Revelation, I read that there's even Christian seminaries around the country that refuse to teach the book of Revelation, because they consider it a closed book, something that we shouldn't look at, shouldn't think about, shouldn't talk about. And, you know, among the various reasons why people might have a negative outlook on Revelation or find it difficult to study is because some people are afraid that some of the things that it says will come to pass will actually come to pass, right? Some are worried that the book isn't just a symbolic encouragement, but it is indeed prophetic, And then there are others who just dismiss biblical prophecy altogether as nothing more than guesswork, wishful thinking, or fear-mongering on behalf of the church. But Revelation is indeed a book that dares predict the future over and over and over again. And yet, even within the Christian church, it is often considered one of the most neglected books of the Bible. In fact, in our world today, there are so many both within and without of the church, inside and outside the church, that will turn to experts and gurus and some even turn to horoscopes and astrology to define their future and to see what's to come for them. But they'll neglect the word of God as a whole, which does predict the future, not once, not twice, but hundreds and hundreds of times with 100% accuracy. You know, the word of God is trustworthy because the one who spoke it is all-knowing. He is perfect. He is almighty. And he lives outside of the linear time constraints that governs our lives, that governs the, the reality of the universe as we live in it. He sees the past and the present and the future as already established facts. So when God says something is going to happen, it's not a guess. It's not a maybe It's not an opinion, it's fact, because for him, it is already finished. Speaking of prophecy, you know, they say that about one-fourth of the entire Bible is predictive prophecy, and about half of those predicted prophecies are things that have already come to pass. So if half of the predicted events have already come to pass and happened just as God said they would happen, we have no reason to doubt those that have yet to come to pass. Prophecy is something we could trust in because it is God's word and from the Lord. But many are discouraged from studying the book of Revelation, and one of the big reasons is how it's written. This book is written in very figurative language, very descriptive, symbolic language, and for some, it could be very, very hard to interpret these things and know what they mean. 
You know, God spoke this revelation to John, the author, in very symbolic imagery, and much of what God showed John, um, I think that at the time, just no language existed to really describe what he was looking at. I mean, if you can imagine being in the Apostle John and God is showing you the future, how would you describe in the language of the day a nuclear bomb going off? How would you describe modern technology as we understand it and see it today, but using the language of AD 95 when John um, got this revelation? It would be very difficult. Much of Revelation predicts stuff that's considered impossible even up to recent times, but now we can see how some of it can indeed happen. For example, in Revelation, it predicts that one man will end up denying people the ability to buy or sell in the world without his mark. In the past, that was considered impossible. How could any one person do that? But today, with currency and transactions being largely digital and everything networked and computerized, not all that hard to consider some, somebody clicking one button and denying all of us access to our money and the ability to purchase anything. Revelation talks about an army of 200 million marching towards a final battle. When John wrote this revelation, the population of the entire planet wasn't even close to that. Today, there's 8 billion people on planet Earth. And in fact, there is one country in particular that can raise an army of 200 million overnight. But many avoid studying Revelation because they say it's, it's too hard to understand, it's too difficult, it's too this or it's too that, but it is understandable. God gave it to us so that we would understand his will. And my goal in our study of Revelation is to simply look at what it says. Not try and twist it or force it, but just simply look at what the word says, learn its promises, and apply them to our lives today. And so this morning, we're going to look at the first eight verses as kind of an introduction to the whole book, and we're going to find out why we have the book of Revelation. We're going to find out why it's so unique, who wrote it, the main character, its main point as we uh, get ready to dive into this book over the next handful of months. At the end of the study, we'll be moving into our baptism and celebrating that commitment that those that have given their life to Christ and want to make this public profession, we're going to be celebrating that with them as they get baptized over here and we worship together. And so I'm just looking forward to this day with all of you. But first, we're going to open in worship, praising God because he is worthy. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you so much, God, and we thank you, Lord. Lord, we do thank you for this revelation, which is of you, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, God. And we pray, Lord, that today as we start this study in this new book, God, that we would be blessed and encouraged and challenged, Lord, that we would see it's not a closed book to be ignored, but, Lord, it is something to be studied and embraced, Lord, because it affects us today, even though it talks about the future. Lord, we're so excited to learn what it is you have for us in this, in this study through Revelation, Lord, and we're excited today to be able to celebrate the baptism of a couple of our family here at Hosanna, Lord, as they make that public profession that you have been revealed into their lives and changed their lives forever. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for what you've done, and we thank you for what you're going to do, Lord. And we want to spend this opening moment, Lord, to worship you, to praise your name because you are worthy. You are worthy of all worship, all praise, Lord. You are, you are the one who deserves all the glory, and we want to lift your name up, God. We love you so much, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are in Revelation chapter 1, and we're starting this exciting study of this last book of the Bible, and I just want to open by reading verse 1 here. It says, The Revelation of Jesus Christ 
that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. You know, studying this book, you go, what is Revelation all about? What is this book all about? What is the point? What is the, 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 the purpose? Well, it tells you there right in the first two words of the first verse. It's a revelation. Now, that word revelation in the original language in the Greek is the word apocalypse. And when we hear the word apocalypse, what do we think of? We think of end times and tragedy and cataclysm and doom, right? Well, that's not at all what the word means in the original language. What the word means in the Greek is simply a revealing, an unveiling, a disclosure, or to cause something to be fully known. And so when it says the revelation there, um, it's an unveiling. It's a revealing of something. And you might go, but what? Well, it tells us it's not just a revelation. It's the revelation of what? Or of who? Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's an important point as we study through the whole book to understand the point and purpose. You know, the word revelation there, that Greek word apocalypse, it's not plural. It's in the singular. It's one singular revelation. And what I mean by that, or what I'm pointing out is, is revelation, the purpose and point of this book is not to be a book of revelations, the point of this book is not to bring up all of these predictions and analogies and interesting future, uh, uh, future events. It's a book of a single revelation about Jesus Christ. That's what revelation is all about. It's about a person, Jesus. He is the center stage, most important subject of the entire book. And if you read through the entire book, which I encourage you to do, you'll see that. Chapters one through three, we see Jesus as the exalted king and the priest over his church ministering to them. In chapters four through five, we see Jesus in heaven as the glorified lamb of God. In chapters six through 18, we see Jesus as the judge over all the earth, pouring out judgment on all mankind. Chapter 19, we see Jesus as the returning and reigning king of kings and Lord of Lords. And then in chapter 20 to the close, we see Jesus as the bridegroom taking his bride into the heavenly city. It's a wonderful book. It's a beautiful book. But we gotta understand that the whole thing is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. Now some of us desperately need this book. We desperately need it. Because some of us need a revelation of Jesus Christ in our own lives. Some of you here in the room and possibly online, you've, you've heard about Jesus. You know some things about Jesus, but you don't know Jesus personally. That revelation, that personal revelation hasn't taken place in your heart. You've never made that personal commitment or that surrender of your life to him. And for some, he's still just that cute little baby in the Christmas card manger. That's all Jesus is. But in this book, we're going to see that Jesus grown up. We're going to see that Jesus exalted in power, ruling as Lord over all creation. You know, Lewis Talbot said this about Revelation. He said, the devil has turned thousands of people away from this portion of God's word. He does not want anyone to read a book that tells of his being cast out of heaven. Nor is he anxious for us to read the ultimate triumph of his number one enemy, Jesus Christ. 
The more you study the book of Revelation, the more you understand why Satan fights so hard to keep God's people away from it. What's really neat about the book of Revelation as a Bible teacher, you know, this is especially neat for me, is that Revelation comes with its own outline. You know, when you're studying scripture and teaching scripture, one of the, the best ways to start in, in looking at a book is you outline the book, right? You kind of want to look at the beginning and the middle and the end and kind of outline the overall thought and themes of the book. And it's a common practice in biblical study because you want to get the flow of what the author was, was intending. You want to get the message. And then you kind of go from that outline to break it down into smaller sections as we do here at Hosanna, going verse by verse through books. Well, Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, Jesus said this to John. Therefore, write what you have seen, what is, and what will take place after this. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for the outline of the book of Revelation. He says, write what you have seen, and that's what we're going to see in chapter 1. As he's speaking to John, John is seeing the resurrected, exalted, glorified Christ. He is seeing that. And John is to write that down and record who he is seeing, the the one who is in complete control of the past, present, and future, the one who is in complete control of what is about to happen as John writes later in Revelation. Then he tells him to write what is. That's chapters two and three of the book of Revelation. In chapters two and three, we have the letters to the seven churches. And so what is, is referring to those seven churches and what's going on. But as we're gonna see as we go through those chapters, they're not just letters to seven real specific churches, which they are, but those seven letters also are pictures of of periods of time in church history. From the beginning of the church until the time when the church is taken out, it's a picture of all the different times and epochs of church history as the church has grown and had successes and difficulties and all of this that we're going to see in what is. And then he tells him to write what will take place after this. And that's chapters 4 through 22, dealing with the future events, the tribulation, and everything after. But notice what he says there. He goes, write what will take place after this. After what? After what is the church age. And thus, a Hosanna, we believe that the church will be raptured out prior to the tribulation time. To not go through it, to not go through half of it, to not go through pieces of it, but that God will take his church out before he pours out his judgment upon the earth. And we'll look at that as we study through this book. But secondary to being the revelation of Jesus Christ, this is a book of prophecy. This is a book of prophecy. If you look at verse three in Revelation one, it says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is near. So again, Revelation is not just a book of of symbols and allegories to be spiritualized. It's a prophecy. Now that word prophecy there. And the word prophecy in general, it means a declaration of the mind, the will, or knowledge of God concerning past, present, and future. That's what that word prophecy means. That's ultimately what prophecy is about. It is a declaration, a revelation, an unveiling of God's will, past, present, and future. And this book, Revelation, does speak very plainly about the outworking of God's will, both or past, present, and future. But in the big picture, prophecy shouldn't make us uncomfortable. 
I know some get really excited about it, but there are those that are really uncomfortable with prophecy, and it shouldn't make us uncomfortable because when we're speaking of prophecy biblically, we're not speaking of predictions that may or may not come true. We are speaking of absolutes because the God who is making these prophecies, who spoke these prophecies, is the one who knows the end from the beginning. He is the one that knows all things, and that's an important truth to grasp, I think, for our spiritual health as believers. It's a very important truth, you know, because um, anxiety runs really high in today's world. A lot of people dealing with, with anxiety, worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen this year, right? Last week, I was talking about how our lives are governed by minutes and seconds and calendars, and it's the new year, and, uh, you know, and, and we're always thinking about what's to come throughout uh, 2020 to 2022, the rates of depression and anxiety rose 25% over all age groups as we went through the pandemic and the world was shut down and then opened and then shut down and then opened and then shut down. <laughs> um, what's really interesting is people ages 20 to 24 saw the highest rise in anxiety and depression. The rate grew 33% among those that were 20 to 24 years old in the years 2020 to 2022. And their anxiety rose so much because they were worrying about education and employment and finances and affordable housing. And all these thoughts dominated the minds of those that were just starting their adult lives. Can you imagine? Welcome to adulthood. Yeah, everything you ever knew doesn't apply anymore. Figure it out. Good luck, right? And so... Anxiety and depression just went through the roof in, 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 in questions that people have when they're thinking about the future. What does the future hold? What will happen to me? What's going to happen? You know, these are questions that have been high on people's minds over the last few years, and people want to know what's going to happen. People are like, is it going to go back to normal? And then you got people saying there's a new normal. It's never going to go back to the way it was. And, you know, people are trying to figure out, well, what do we do about our kids who just lost two years of education in grade schools and they're all behind now, right? It's, people are freaking out. And then in the church, we've seen everything that's happening and we go, oh, is the end near? Are these signs of the times? Are these signs of, of the end coming? And then even within the church, people still, you know, discuss, is, is Jesus really going to return visually, physically? And if so, when? And how is that going to happen? Well, Revelation really addresses all this stuff. It addresses the end. It addresses the conclusion of, of, of this epoch of history as we understand it. And it goes on to define the rapture. It defines the second coming of Jesus Christ. This book introduces us to a coming world ruler who will deliver a new economic system by marking everybody and making sure that they go through his process to buy and sell. We'll see the judgment that God brings on the earth for a period of seven years called the tribulation. We'll be introduced to a group called the 144,000 and see who they really are. Hint, they're not Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay? We'll see what their job is during that time. We'll look at when and why the Jews rebuild their temple in Jerusalem, and we'll see that come to pass. And what's really interesting, if you have an opportunity to go visit Israel, there's a, um, um, an organization there called the Temple Institute, which is like, we know it's going to happen. We're ready for it. And they've already like, made all the implements and all the things that are going to go into the temple and all of the, 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 the garments. I mean, they're, they're training people to be priests, and they're just waiting for this temple to be rebuilt. We'll see the emergence and ultimate destruction of Babylon, and what that means. 
We'll look at the Battle of Armageddon, the end of this age, the Millennial Kingdom, and beyond. But I do want to address something real quick because, you know, some could get overly obsessed with Bible prophecy. You know, some could get really, really overly obsessed. And, and in that obsession, they become overly anxious about everything. And everything becomes a sign, right? The, the, the light turned yellow. Revelation chapter, no, right? They, they start to spiritualize everything as signs. Now, we are called to be aware, and we're called to look forward to the coming of Christ, and we're called to know the word of God. But some could get just obsessed with prophecy and miss the point of studying prophecy in a book like Revelation altogether. Because studying the book of Revelation is not about encouraging us to go build a bomb shelter. It's not about us hiding from 5G technology. It's not about all the rampant conspiracy theories that can, that can sometimes consume people when they're looking at end time scenarios. This book is an unveiling of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. It's, the, it's about the fact that he's coming back. And he's coming back for us, his church. It's about the fact that judgment is coming upon the earth. Then the more we study and learn about these things, the more we should be motivated to lead godly lives now. That's the point of this book. Is that as we look ahead to things that we won't even be here for as the church that we're motivated to lead godly lives now and the more we should be stirred to reach those that don't yet know Jesus Christ with the gospel. That's the overall point, I think, of prophecy in our lives. Yeah, it solidifies our faith. Yeah, it helps us to, to you know, trust in the word and, and all that. But, but ultimately, that, that trust in everything is like, God, I believe everything you say and so I'm gonna live for you today. And I'm gonna do everything I can to share you with those that don't know you because we know that the time for sharing is short. And so the study of revelation and biblical prophecy, it's, it's not so that we can fight over divided interpretations of what this and that means. It's so that we see a clear picture of Jesus Christ and live for him. And so the goal and the prayer of this study is that we don't leave this study of Revelation just with neato tidbits about what Gog and Magog is and charts and, and all this type of stuff and, and ultimately divisions over interpretations. My prayer is that we walk away after studying God's prophecy, trusting him like we never have before. Trusting him like we never have before because we'll be studying about Jesus, God who has a perfect track record, who knows everything start to finish. And so that we walk away from study and revelation going, here is a God that I can trust every detail of my life to. That's the goal. So now, verse one and two, we see the author of this book who is writing down this revelation of Jesus Christ, and it's the apostle John. If you look in uh, chapter one, verse one there, it says, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. Now John was a man who started out as a fisherman from Galilee. He ended up becoming the disciple whom Jesus loved. Yes, he wrote that himself, but still, right? Um, he was part of the closest inner circle of those that were following Jesus. We know that Jesus had 12, 12 disciples, 12 apostles, but Peter, James, and John were kind of like a, the closest inner circle of that whole group. And these three were, were privy to things that the rest of the group weren't. They got to see the healing of, of Jairus' daughter in Capernaum. They were there for the transfiguration of Jesus, and they were in the Garden of Gethsemane with him the night before his crucifixion. 
John specifically had an intimacy with Jesus that the others didn't seem to have. You know, when we read about John in the Gospels, we see that it was John was the one who laid his head against Jesus' chest during the Last Supper because he just wanted to be as close to Jesus as he possibly could be. It was John who stood at the cross with Mary while Jesus died. And it was John who ran to the tomb first with Peter. And it was John, the scripture tells us, who believed the resurrection first. Now, just so you don't think John was some perfect person and we're elevating John to some levels of worship, it was also John who asked Jesus for the best seat in the kingdom of heaven. So he could be pridefully ambitious, right? He had his struggles. But I want to address something it says there in verse 1. It says this was written to show his servants what must soon take place. And you might read this and you go, well, this was written about 2,000 years ago. That doesn't seem very soon, right? Um, Well, one, we got to understand that God is outside of time, right? A day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day to God. So there's that. But more importantly, that word soon there in the original Greek language actually means swiftly, swiftly. So it's referring to something that, that takes place in a brief period of time. So it's not speaking of events that would happen quickly in his own lifetime, As he's writing here, he's speaking of events that would happen quickly once they started happening. Does that make sense? You guys understand the difference? Okay. So John wrote this book while he was in in exile on the island of Patmos. We get that from verse 9. And at the time, he's an old man in his 90s, approaching 100 years old. And this revelation of Jesus Christ was written during a time of great persecution on Christians in the church. Right, Almost from the very beginning of the church, they started being persecuted by the governments of the world, and especially Rome being one of the most um, powerful um, world powers at that time. There was all kinds of persecution that was coming against the Christians. You had Nero, who was burning them as torches in his gardens, and then you had um, the the, uh, Caesars after him. The persecution just kept building against the church. Now, tradition tells us that, that at one point, the Apostle John was sentenced to death by being thrown into a cauldron, cauldron of boiling oil to shut him up. They just wanted to kill him and shut him up, so they, they heated this big pot of oil to boiling, and they threw him in it. And nothing happened, according to tradition. And so they said, well, what are we going to do? You know, we can't shut him up. The boiling oil didn't kill him. And so he ended up getting exiled to this barren island of Patmos, which was a penal colony of the time, because there was nobody on that island he could preach to. And so that's how they'll get rid of him. And exile was a fairly common um, punishment during the Roman times. Now today, if you go to the island of Patmos, it's beautiful. It's a really beautiful island you could visit. But, But then it was bleak. There was almost no clean water, drinkable water. It was windswept, rocky. It was an isolated prison where people were sent to be forgotten about and that they would just die and go away. This was the island of Patmos. Well, tradition tells us that John didn't die there. He was eventually released, and he went back to Ephesus where he lived out the rest of his life, and that is where he ended up dying being known as the apostle of love, as the stories tell us that in his advanced age, he couldn't walk anymore, and so they would carry him in on stretchers and carry him through the town, and he was just, love one another, love one another, love one another, just just so encouraged with, with encouraging people to love one another as Jesus loved him, and he was just a man so filled with love and so filled with the hope of Jesus Christ. Now, I bring all that up to say maybe this morning as we're starting this book, you find yourself on your own Patmos 
in life. You're in a place in life right now that feels barren and rocky and windswept. And you feel alone and maybe you feel forgotten and and left to die in that regard. You might be feeling, I'm isolated, I'm stuck. Why is this happening? Well, I bring that up to say this. In that place, this barren, isolated prison colony, that was the place that John received the greatest revelation of Jesus Christ anybody ever had. It was in that place of isolation. It was in that place where if you looked around, it was probably hopeless. That was where John got this revelation. And God, I believe, allows Patmoses into our life that he might reveal himself to us in powerful ways. Sometimes we're like, God, why are you letting this happen? And the answer is because this is the only way you're going to look to me. This is the only way that that you're going to see me as I'm trying to reveal myself to you and the truth of who I am and what I could do in your life. Now, there is a special blessing promised in Revelation for the person who reads and hears and keeps the words of this book. And that's interesting, too, because no other book of the Bible promises such a blessing by reading it. Look at verse 3. It says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is near. That word blessed, if you're a Bible student, you typically hear it defined as, oh, how happy, right? And that's really what this word means in the language, being happy. But specifically, it means being happy because of favorable circumstances or a favorable condition or a favorable state, That's what this word blessed here means. Now, yes, you will be blessed if you read any book of the Bible. That is is true, right? Studying the word of God will always bring blessing. But this is the only one that opens up and says, hey, read me, you'll be blessed. So for those who consider Revelation a closed book, I think you're missing out on a blessing. And it's to be read. And the more you read about what is written here in this book of prophecy, the more you will understand about Jesus, the more you will understand about his plan for you and your future. And ultimately, what it's telling us here is the happier you will be in whatever the circumstances are. You see, when we believe fully and our heart is in alignment with the God who knows the future and and the God who is my dad and the God who loves me and saved me, and we know that, that he wins in the end and he's going to bring us through. When, when we are, are fully invested in that idea, the difficulties of right now, not so bad. Now, I'm not trying to diminish difficult difficulties, right? They're bad. But in light of God and the revelation of who he is and what he's going to do in the lives of his children, it gives us strength to persevere. Now, notice there, He says, read aloud, hear, and keep. Those are the prerequisites of the promise. Read aloud, hear it, and keep it. Now, we'll be reading it aloud together over the coming months as we study it verse by verse, but I'm challenging you as the body to read it at home, to read it together as as couples, to read it to your kids, to read aloud the words of this prophecy that you will be blessed. And as you read it, as we read it here, as you read it on your own, you're going to hear it, But that word here doesn't just mean, oh, the sound waves hit my eardrum. That word here means to listen with intention, to hear it, to understand it, to get it, to listen with intention, not passively, but to hear it with a thinking mind. What does this mean for me? 
What does this mean to me today? What does it say? How do I live it? Now that question is what then leads to the third prerequisite of this blessing, keeping it. That word keep means to follow or obey. Right? Now I can read it to you and we're going to read it together and thus we'll hear it together and hopefully as we study through and teach that, I'll, that, that, that collectively together we'll come to hear and understand what it's telling us but but I can't keep it for you, and you can't keep it for me. We must each choose to individually keep, follow, and obey, and apply these truths to our lives. And when we choose to live each day in light of eternity, trusting in the promises of our God and who Jesus is, not trusting in what is just temporary and what we could see before us, but trusting in Almighty God, we are ultimately happier people. We're ultimately more peaceful people, joyous people, contented people, and that is the goal, I believe, here. Now, verse four, read with me. It says, John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. So here John is introducing us to the main character of the book, the capstone, the point, the one who the revelation is about, Jesus Christ. And we see here as John writes who he is in verse 5. He is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. We see what he has done there in verse 5. To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom and priest to his God and Father. In verse 7, we see what he will do. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Again, Jesus is the main thing in this entire book. He is what it's all about, and John is fully realizing who he is here. Jesus is giving John the full revelation of who he is in his exalted glory, and I think that's just awesome. He's not just seeing a vision of this human carpenter that he spent years with in learning ministry, and one, he has served all these years, but he's seeing the glorious reigning king over all the kings of the earth. When he says firstborn from the dead and the one to him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood, what I believe John is saying there in his revelation of the glorified Jesus is that Jesus has every right to rule our lives because he has done everything to redeem it. Jesus has the right to rule. Jesus has the right to set the rules. <laughs> Jesus has the right to tell us who and how we should be because he redeemed our lives by his blood. He's not just the baby in the manger. He's not just the man who hung on the cross. He is God glorified, exalted, 
creator of all things and ruler of all things. And as his children, we should trust in that. Sometimes we look at it and go, oh, and we're called to, we have to submit to him and like it's some bad thing. Why do we turn to horoscopes and stuff like that? Because we want to know the future so that things go the best for us they possibly can. How about the one who knows for sure? How about turning to him, trusting in him? It's not a burden yielding our lives to Jesus Christ. It is the most freeing and the most perfectly positive thing we could do because he knows and he knows what's best for you and he knows what's best for me. He paid the price for our sins by his blood and because of that he has the right to rule over our lives. But he says, look, he is coming with the clouds. You know, if you want one theme to describe the book of Revelation, an overall theme is that Jesus Christ, the one who died, the one who rose again, is coming back. That is the glorious overall theme of this book. And he's not coming back lowly. He's coming back exalted. He's not coming back to be oppressed and persecuted and nailed to a cross. No, he is coming back this time to conquer He is coming back to establish his rule and he will rule over all the earth. He is the only hope for mankind. Right, just a few months ago, we went through this ritual that we go through every few years called elections, right? In every election cycle, promises are made by everybody on both sides, every possible party, Vote for this person or vote for that person. Vote for me. Vote for that. Life will be different. Everything will change. The world will be saved if you just get so-and-so into office. Man has tried to rule himself for centuries. Man has tried monarchies. Man has tried socialism. Man has tried democracies. Man has even tried a republic. Now, some of those forms of government are better than others. And I do believe that we have an obligation as people to be involved as citizens in, in, the, in the political realm, that, that, that we have an opportunity to let our voice be heard, and we should be involved with that. But regardless of the party and regardless of the politician and regardless of the government, every single one has and will fail because ultimately mankind is corrupt. And the only hope we have in this world The only hope we will ever have in this world is not a new politician. It's Jesus Christ. And the only hope this world has is when Jesus comes back and rules the earth the way it ought to be, in perfect righteousness. And that's what I'm looking forward to, and that's what we should all be looking forward to. In the process, we're called to be salt and light, and we're called to be involved, and we're called to share the gospel because the time is short. We need to be involved evangelistically. And yes, we're called to be involved in all these things, but our hope is never to be put in man. Our hope is only to be put in Jesus Christ, the exalted one, the King of kings, Lord and lords, God Almighty. And that's what we're going to be studying this revelation of him, Jesus Christ. But I want to close on this story that I read. It was about a father who came home from work one day and he was just exhausted. He'd been putting in long hours and extra hours at work. And on this particular day, it was one of the most longest and grueling days of work. And he wanted nothing more than to come home and to just get some space, right? 
dads, maybe you can identify with this on some level, you know. Moms too, you know, it's just there's times where after the work day, you know, you, ju- you just want space. And so he wanted to come home and just wanted some space, some peace, some rest. Just wanted to come in, grab the newspaper, sit down on his recliner, and just spend some time relaxing. So he gets home and unlocks the door and drags himself one foot after the other to his favorite chair, picks up the newspaper, and guess who jumps in his lap? His five-year-old son. Daddy! You're home. I've been waiting all day. I'm so excited to see you. Let's play. Well, that was the last thing the father wanted to do in that moment. He knew that his son needed his attention, and he knew and and fully intended to engage, but he was like, I just just need some time. I just need some time to to decompress from the day. And so um, the newspaper he was holding in his hand, he looked down at it and saw a picture of earth because a satellite had recently been launched, and so there was a big article about, about space and science and all this, and so there was this big picture of Earth, and he looked down, and he goes, ah, I got a brilliant idea. So he grabbed the scissors, he cut out the picture of Earth, ripped it up into a whole bunch of tiny pieces, and he goes, son, why don't you go put this puzzle together? And when you're done putting the puzzle together, we'll play. And son was like, oh, I love puzzles! And so he took all the pieces, and he ran into the other room, and dad was like, ah, I'm gonna get at least three hours, right? Well, about 10 minutes later, sun shows up, earth is perfectly taped together. (laughs) Dad looks down and he's kind of shocked, right? He's like, "Uh, how how did you do that? And the son looks at his dad and he goes, oh, dad, it was simple. On the back side was a picture of a man's face. And so I just, I just put the pieces together and when I could see the man's face, the world came together. Isn't that true? When we focus on Jesus, when we learn of him, when we put the pieces together, when we see the man, our world comes together. He puts the world back together one person at a time. He does it through one life that is rebuilt, reshaped, taped back together in the image of God. And he takes those individual pieces and he puts us all together as his church. And the intent is as we all come together as his people functioning in his way, he's putting the world back together the way it should be. Now we know that those without Christ are going to ultimately rebel against him. Revelation's going to talk about that. We do know that the time's coming where this earth, this realm is going to be done and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and we're going to talk about that. But today, not in the future, today, for those of you in this room and watching online, I want you to know something very important that Jesus is revealing himself to you today because he wants to be your Lord and Savior today. You know, before I was saved, I had a buddy who worked with me. We used to stock shelves at grocery stores, and he was a Christian, backslidden Christian, incidentally. It was kind of interesting, but he preached the gospel to me every day at work, and we would talk about this and that, and he would always tell me about Revelation, and, oh, this is going to happen, and, oh, and I'm like, dude, I don't, none of that's true. I said, if God poked his head out of heaven, was like, boogie, boogie, I'm God. I'd be like, whoa, sign me up, right? I'd be like, I'd be in the hills fighting for Jesus, right? You know, as as the enemy's gonna come. I'm like, but I've never seen anything that would tell me that there's a God. Well, the day came where Jesus revealed himself to me. And I couldn't say no. And I gave my life to him. And as that picture became clear in that moment and has become clear every day since, 
It is the best decision I ever made in my entire life to respond to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because as he has worked in my life, I've become a far better person than I ever was, and that's what Jesus does. He changes you. He gives you a new heart and changes you from the inside out. And then the hope of heaven to know that one day when I leave this earth, whether it's during the time when he comes back for the church or I die, that I will be with him in paradise forever. That is a hope I I desperately cling to. And it's only because of Jesus Christ. It's only in and through him. And he wants to rule and reign in your life today. Today can be that day. Today could be that time where your life has meaning and purpose and priority and it happens by letting God put you back together. It happens by letting God do that and then moving forward in relationship with him, learning of him until the day that we are with him. Father, we love you so much. We look forward to the study of Revelation, God. It's exciting. It's concerning. But Lord, we trust that as it is a revelation of you, that we will learn more about you. And as we learn more about you, Lord, we would be people who live for you today to share that truth of who you are with those that don't know you yet, Lord, because the time is coming as you have promised and your track record is 100% perfect, God, that you promise that the time of judgment will come on those who reject you. But Lord, your will is that every single person would know Jesus Christ. That all who call on the name of Jesus Christ would be saved, Lord. That is your will. And so God, we pray, Lord, that as we study this book and know more about you, that we would be people that are about getting that message out. While we're praying right now, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're in this room today or you're watching online today, And through this brief intro of Revelation, Jesus has revealed himself to you. And you know that he wants to be your Lord and Savior. And you know you need him as your Lord and Savior because you need salvation. In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And it's a moment where your entire life will be changed forever. Who you are will be different because you will be then further reshaped into the image of your creator. To be able to love like you've never been able to love before, to have peace and joy like you've never experienced before because all these things are found in Jesus Christ. And so while we're praying, if you want to receive Jesus in this room, I just want you to raise your hand where I could see it and let me pray for you to receive Jesus Christ into your life. If you're watching online, obviously I can't see you through the camera, but just let us know in chat that you'd like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I'll pray with you today to receive him, to be saved, and to know no matter what that at the end of all things, whether he comes back for you on this earth or you perish physically on this earth first, that you will be with him in heaven forever. Anybody Jesus is speaking to you today, just raise your hand where I could see it. Let me pray with you. All right, Father, God, we thank you so much and we trust you, Lord, for what you're doing and how you're moving. We pray, God, for those that don't know you, that they would come to know you. Lord, that they would be able to set aside whatever's holding them back, whether it's fear, whether it's pride, whether it's um, who knows, God, but there are so many things the devil uses to hold us back from you, and I pray, God, Lord, that you would break through those things with the truth of who you are and how desperately you love each one of us. And that, God, the salvation would come to those who realize and recognize that they've sinned against you, they've broken your law, Lord, 
And that means the truth, the promise of judgment because you are holy. But God, there would be a love and a forgiveness and a salvation that would come into the lives of those who don't know you. And so God, we thank you, Lord. Give us opportunity to keep sharing the gospel. Give us opportunity to keep living for you and growing in what that means, God. We love you so much and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, at this time, guys, we're gonna close with celebrating the public profession of those who have been saved by the glorious power of Jesus Christ. We had a couple individuals here. Are you guys here? The two that were getting baptized today? Yeah, okay, great. If you guys will come forward right now, we actually have some changing booths in the back for you to, to get ready for the baptism. So if you can go ahead and come up and come down the aisle and come forward, and then uh, we'll get ready for that. Pastor Rick, if you come forward as well. And then we're going to be celebrating this moment with them. Guys, baptism is this moment of public profession. Jesus has done a work in my lives. He has saved me. And this whole identification of going under the water, dying to self, coming up, born again, it's all about proclaiming that. Now, because it is a public profession, that means there needs to be a public um, there to witness it. And guess what? You guys are the public today. You are the family that gets to celebrate this moment with those who are getting baptized. And so um, in a moment here, we're going to uh, start worship. And while the team is worshiping, leading us in worship, we'll go ahead and do the baptisms. Now, because my, my foot is messed up, I'm not going to be able to do the baptisms today. So Pastor Rick will be... Um, uh, officiating the baptism there in the pool, but I encourage all of us, you know, to never forget the power of what God has done in our lives. To never forget the day he changed our lives and what that means. To never forget the day you got baptized and you made that public profession. Now, if you're here today and you didn't sign up to get baptized and God is putting it on your heart to get baptized right now, Okay, we have some shirts in the back that you can wear and you could get baptized today too. And so while we're worshiping, if, if God's telling you you need to do this today, um, go ahead and come down and come to the back and, and, and get changed and get baptized because we wanna see God continue to do the work that he's begun in your life and this matters so much in that. So with that, let's pray and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you, God. Lord, bless this day, Lord, especially those that are getting baptized, God. Lord, this is such an important moment in our walk with you, Lord, as we publicly profess what you've done in our lives, that you have come in and saved us, God, and that our old nature has been put to death and our new nature has been born, and that, God, this whole process of baptism recognizes that, that, God, we've given our lives to you, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the glorified, exalted God Almighty who has saved us. Lord, we thank you. We love you so much for what you've done, God. And so we're so excited to celebrate this moment, Lord. Let this time be a blessing to those that are getting baptized. Let this time be a blessing to us in celebrating this moment with our family. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's worship, guys.